This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used and trusted for well over a decade now, and they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount. Before I get to that, I want to highlight a couple of products. So footwear has been a big issue, and we all know that these heavy-duty work boots cause a lot of issues with joint health and fatigue. Listening to the responders in the field, the military in the field, 511 have reverse engineered and created some incredible footwear that is much more lightweight, just as durable, and minimizes both fatigue and damage to the joints. One of those is the Norris sneaker. I have a pair of those myself. They are incredible. And the other one is the AT trainer that has the Atlas system, which spreads the weight of the load over the entire foot, thus reducing fatigue and long-term damage. Aside from footwear, they have the backpacks. I have the AMP pack myself. They're civilian clothes, the jeans, the shorts. I absolutely live in these days. The flashlights are some of the brightest I've seen, and they last an incredibly long time on one charge. The list goes on and on. Now, because 5.11 cares about you, the tactical population, they are offering you a discount of 15% on every purchase that you make. So go to 5.11 Tactical, use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, and save 15% every time you shop. And if you want to learn even more about the company, listen to episode 338 with co-founder and CEO, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the Products do what they say they're going to do on the label, and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to episode 362 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Aaron Hoff, aka Uncle Hoffy. Now you've probably heard the ultimate Hawaiian trail run mentioned by several of my guests, Justin Herzog, Matt Chan, Ron Ortiz, and Aaron is the man behind not only that, but also the Kiala Foundation, which it raises money for. The pandemic caused them to do a virtual trail run this year, and I was hoping to get this episode out just in time for registration for that. However, that wasn't possible, 
but that doesn't detract from your ability to contribute to the Kiala Foundation and start planning actually being there in person next year. So please, if you have any inkling to do some good coming out of this pandemic, Kiala Foundation is definitely one of those places that your money would be well spent. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does make this project more visible for people looking for a podcast like this. And then just to underline, this is a free library for you, the audience, whether individually, whether within an organization. So all I ask in return is that you pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Aaron Hoff. Enjoy. Well, Aaron, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, anytime. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So where are we finding you on planet Earth today? I am on the island of Kauai in Hawaii. Yeah, the furthest island west of the United States. Beautiful. But I want to get into you know so many island-related questions down the road, but I'd love to start at the very beginning. So where were you born? And then tell me about your family dynamic, what your, what your parents did and how many siblings. I was born on the island of Kauai, um, small island and... And the, my family, I got two brothers and an adopted sister. And my parents, um, they moved here a long, long time ago. They, were, they, they moved from the Bay Area. And they came over here and just liked the island style. And they stuck it out. Uh, my dad was a contractor. So he's one of the first contractors on the island of Kauai. Um, or general contractors, usually families just built, came together and built their own houses. And then he got into that and started doing construction. And I, I, it was a good life growing up, you know, it it had its challenges, but, um, and we'll get into that, like the, the product of living on an Island. And yeah, so that's kind of that with the family. I got a good family over here. Brilliant. Well, you mentioned about that. So, so tell me a little bit more about what your father told you as far as a community element of people banding together to build a house. Because I think that that community is something I think we're, we're missing a little bit at the moment. Yeah. So that on Kauai, it's, it's very growing up right here is very community minded, you know, um, and, you know, you know, everybody here, like growing, it's just a small island. There's one road. So you get to know everybody here. And I basically, you know, growing up watching my dad guys build houses and, you know, for families and stuff, it was, it was really cool to watch because it wasn't, he would contract some stuff out, but the families would come and help build the house and do things and help, you know, there was just like the community would come and help build the house. And it was always cool to see and growing, growing up too, my dad, my dad and my mom, they always they worked a lot and they were very busy. You know, you know how work can become your thing and you're always out there working. So your family gets, I mean, raising your kids can get, be a neglect. And so I would wander up. My, my neighbors were 
beautiful Hawaiian family. And, and that was like my second family. They call them Hanai. And that means you, you, I was like a Hanai son where they just took me in like a son, like their own. And so I was, while my parents were working growing up, I would actually go over to their house and live over there. I just hop the fence and I'd be, you know, feeding animals and just doing island stuff, you know, fishing, all just all that typical stuff that we do over here growing up. And so I, I really got to be a part of the Hawaiian community, you know, and the, and the local community because I was raised by these, these local families over here, um, Hawaiian families. And it was cool, cool experience. You know, you really understand the, the word aloha um, and being raised in that. It was a, really a gift. You know, I got this to see, you know, this, that lifestyle that people crave when they come over here and see it. And they're like, wow, man, I love this. Over That's why people always come back to Hawaii because that feeling of just accepted acceptance and love and that expression is what people love. You know, it's, it's a, it's a the language that's written on our heart. You know, we all just want to be loved. When you come into a community that's just pouring out love, it's just like, man, you want, you want more of it, you know? No, absolutely. I think, you know, like you said about the um, Hanai, that phrase, it takes a, uh, excuse me, it takes a village is so pertinent. I think that's something that you see in the more cohesive communities where we do almost help raise each other's kids and, and take care of them, you know, watch over them so nothing bad happens to them as well. Yeah. And then it's like over here, it's like a, it's, it's beautiful how that is, that, that, that is, but then it's a double edged sword because, like being raised on the island, you know, like I, there's a, there's, it's, there's a really, really massive drug problem. It's a, over here and, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction and, and just that life. That's so, such a huge part of the lifestyle growing up. And, you know, we're down at the beach and hanging out and, you know, I'm like, eight, nine years old and I'm already being turned into a bartender. My uncles are having me go grab a beer from the cooler. Here, give you a dollar, go grab me a beer. And then, you know what I mean? So that, that, that just starts at an early age being exposed to that. And then, you know, they're smoking weed down at the beach and they're like, and it's just, it's not, it's not a dangerous environment. So the, the deadliest part about that growing up on this Island is, the foundation is laid for us as kids to walk right into that lifestyle because it doesn't look deadly. You know, it's, it's family members and close friends that are partaking in, in drugs and alcohol. And, and I, I look up to these guys cause they're great divers, great surfers. And, and, you know, that's the part I see, but in reality, they, 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 they work from paycheck to paycheck and, are barely making it by a lot of them are just living at the beach and there's this we call them pavilionaires you know they're, they're hanging out at the pavilion down by the beach all day and it's um as kids we're, those are our role models and and at the end of the day they're just drug addicts and alcoholics you know and and we get so so when we get a little older there's no like oh don't drink and don't use it's like it's automatic we're going to drink and use because our whole life has been conditioned by our uncles and aunties 
and, and our fam, family members and close pe- people we grow up with that it's okay, you know? So we just, it's just like sheep being led to the slaughter. It's on cruise control. It's, it's pretty insane to see. Now, what do you think is some of the mental elements of that? Because I've had lots and lots of people on here. Um, you know, usually when you see addiction, there's some sort of mental ill health. And I mean that, you know, they, they were abused when they were young. They grew up around a, you know, an abusive stepfather or whatever it was. So with you seeing so much of it on the island, the the alcohol, the drugs are definitely the coping mechanism. What is some of the trauma that you think these members of the community are going through? Well, so that, I mean, it's really not that hard to explain it for me. It's, I see it all the time. It's the reason we, so over here, it's, we're taught at a young age to not show weakness. Don't cry, be tough. And it's, it's probably similar by any male raising environment, you know, that's, um, you just got to be tough. Don't let the, you know, the world's going to take you down. You know what I mean? So you got to be tough. And what that does is it instills the, ability in us to where we're afraid to share what's really going on inside. You know, for me to talk about my feelings is a sign of weakness. I thought, and I was taught. So what happens is I have all these life experiences happening to me. It's a lot traumatic and, <clears throat> and they don't even have to be traumatic, but what happens is you stack all these life experiences up and you don't have anywhere to, to process them. You're not taught how to like, express them and do that so you become like a closed book and we, in society we learn that we can put on a smiling face and everything's okay but deep down inside we're suffering you know there's a disconnect and feeling of unease we're not happy with ourselves you know this that part of life and, and and every human goes through it nobody goes through life untouched or unscathed everybody gets gets a a taste of pain and what happens is we store these things and we don't process them and then it starts to get you know and when, when you get to a certain age we you take a drink you know and then that automatically makes you feel better so you know what i mean so you're gonna but when we as humans we like to feel good so we're going to go back to that because we want to feel good again so then we learn that oh we can smoke a joint we can drink we can do a line of coke we can do this and then we, it's like a chemist, you know, trying to find that right recipe. And, you know, some people for the rest of their life, they can smoke weed and that's how they cope. And it's a, it's a, it's to take the edge off. They can have a glass of wine. They can do that, you know, but it's, um, alcohol and, and drugs is just a symptom of a whole nother problem that's never been taught in society on how to deal and cope with. And, so like for me as being a drug addict and alcoholic, I don't have a stop button or a moderate button. So I just excel straight into the depths of the disease, you know, and it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's crazy how it took me losing my family and all just, just the bottom that I hit to be able to realize that, Hey, I need to start talking and reaching out. You know, no, so absolutely. If that makes sense, but if that's the way I was to describe it, you know, it's a lot of past pain not dealt with or taught with how to cope with, and then it just starts to get uncomfortable, and we get loaded, we drink, and and that's the solution. 
And sometimes that solution, people, it works for people their whole life, but a lot, most people, it's drinking and, and that whole lifestyle, it just stops working at a point in their life. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Now, when, when you were young, because we'll get back to how long, how young you were when you started drinking. But aside from that, what about sports? What were some of the positive coping mechanisms or, or sports that you enjoyed? Well, there's sports over here. There's football. We're, we're out on an island. So there's football. It's a, for over here, the local community for like, so for me, I was a minority. I in Hawaii, if you're, if you're not, um, colored, or a certain racial, you know what I mean? It's There's a form of racism over here, and I'm on the lower spectrum because I'm a white boy. And it's like totally reversed, you know? And and so when I went into sports, I would be the guy getting picked on by the uncles and because I'm not a Hawaiian or a local-looking kid with brown skin. And and I would, I would catch, just catch it, you know? So sports for me was really not fun because I was always getting singled out and, and picked on and just treated badly. And then I went, so I, I, I went to surfing and diving because I didn't need a coach and, and I could be my own person. So that was a sports. A lot of us, the sport, a lot of us grew up with is diving, um, fishing, surfing, you know, just the outside world stuff. I, I, I never really took part in it. I, I played t-ball and baseball, but it was just not the amount of torture I took from the side of racism was just, it's unbelievable, you know, from the other. Yeah. It's just, it's just different, different form of racism. Yeah. Well, it's the same form of racism in this. It's just ignorance. Yeah, same as, yeah. Total ignorance. And yeah. And it's still here today. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing it being represented as it being rife. And I think, I don't know how it is with you. Um, you know, like you said, with most of the people on the Island, but I think that what we're seeing is the racism being painted. Like it's, it's an absolute epidemic. Whereas I truly believe that it's a minority that are actually racist and the rest of the people are kind of just in the middle going, oh, actually, I, I don't feel that way <laughs> about, about other people just because of their skin. Yeah. So it's pretty, you know, pretty it's pretty amazing how that stuff is just to be able to see it it's a gift to be able to see it because you can do something about it yeah well exactly absolutely well back to your childhood then so you mentioned about really starting to drink when you were around 10 so kind of lead me through that journey well yeah actually even younger like i used to we used to go over we had a big rope swing and we go swim in the reservoir my my uncle would be like here take a shot of this it'll kill all the germs from the water and he would give us whiskey and then start it, you know, and it's just, it's kind of, I couldn't nail it down when I first started, but it, it was very young. And, and, and I liked it when I drank and when I started, it was, there was an excitement behind it because it was wrong. There was something wrong about it, but it was thrilling and it just, you know, you, you get away with it. And it's just like, it's, it's just that feeling. It's adrenaline. And that's a whole nother addiction right there. The adrenaline, you know, of just doing that stuff. And, and it wasn't hard for, you know, I remember the first I broke into this house when I was a kid and I never seen weed. I never knew about it, but I found a bathtub full of it 
And somehow I knew what to do with it. And I went over, grabbed a bunch, went off and was rolling it in banana leaves in the bushes or the, by my house and smoking it. But I was very young, you know, and it's, it's like that was my destiny, <laughs> you know. With, were there any any specific events in your life prior to that that you think you were trying to escape from? Oh yeah, I was a fat kid growing up, and I was, you know, what I mean, I was. There's a bunch of things like my fat, my mom guys really wanted a girl, and then I was a boy when I came out, and so they they had in, instantly adopted a, a girl because I was, you know, what I mean. So that whole like, oh, just a bunch of I'm not good enough type of situations and they didn't they weren't doing it like to spite me but as a kid this it's the picture i was creating in my head like aaron's not good enough look at me i'm fat i'm you know what i mean i'm I'm like i get in trouble all the time i'm this you know just low self-esteem and and it's, it's just an accumulation of things that you know it's really hard to put a finger on and and those are the most deadliest i i think you can I, a lot worse than having one traumatic experience because I can go back and work on that traumatic experience, which I have, as opposed to all these little things that you just don't recognize that settle in and, and, and create a home and just dis-ease in, your, in, in my life, you know? And it's, um, it, it's, that's why, you know, I, 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 I ended up going to AA and the tw- uh, they have a, the program is a 12 step program and that thing, that thing is, that thing is divinely, divinely set up. And that was a gift, man, because I walked through that, those steps and it really broke down my whole entire life. And I got to deal with every single thing that, that I could remember, you know, and, and bring to light, you know, I'm the person I am today because of those 12 steps. Yeah, I've had I've had several people on here that have said the same thing, and you know, not not all from you know religious backgrounds or any specific route, but yeah. yeah, just just being able to step by step walk through their life from the beginning, and and a lot of it seems to be self forgiveness too. Yeah, it's it's the biggest one being able to forgive yourself and and just recognize all your the things that chain you down, you know. So it's it's beautiful. I, I highly recommend. There's programs for everything. That, that I mean, I, I highly recommend if somebody's struggling or whatever. It's not hard to find a twelve step program that has that that process. You know. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. So, from being a child, you know, now being exposed to alcohol, kind of walk me through that downward. That, excuse me, that downward spiral and where it took you as you started growing up. So I got so this a quick little blur through. It's real simple, you know. I just started hanging out with the wrong people, and then I started doing cocaine by the time I was a, a ninth grade, and and then by the time I, you know, and in and out of, of court dates all the time, always in trouble. By the time I got to I when I graduated, I got into math and that stuff, and then I was pretty much if it was there in front of me, I'll do it. But toward the end, math was what I really loved. You know, I I got hooked on that right. I just loved the high, and it was 
you know, it just grabbed me. me like the gnarliest devil possession ever. Like you, I would, I would do anything for that. I mean, I stole from my daughter, my family, from everybody. You know, I, I didn't care. I just, whatever I had to do to get the drugs, I would do. I, I remember driving my car right before I got sober, driving my car to the dope dealer's house. And, and I'm going to say, I, I don't want to go to the dope dealer's house, but I can't. I'm having this conversation with myself. It's like I'm stuck. I'm like, I'm remote control. I have to go to the dope man's house. And I was going to say, God, man, I need help. Man, I just, something's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm addicted. You know, that's what it was. I totally accepted the fact, and I, and then I like Christmas, but like so toward the end, you know, just just the bottoms that come with it. It's, I'm trying to speed it up because I don't really like the drug log, but but when I hit the very pinnacle moment of my drug addiction, I was driving home one day, and my wife found my pipe, my meth pipe, and then I grabbed it, and then big fight started, and then I and then I grabbed my wife, and I never hit anybody or my wife or woman ever. And I just snapped. She was in my face and I just grabbed her and I body slammed her to the ground and I was ready to just, just punch her face in, you know what I mean? My beautiful wife. And, and, and then I just stopped. Somebody just made me stop. And I see, I was just like, and I went, rolled over, sat on my butt and I was just like, I'm not okay. You know? And then my wife left, she left that day. She she left in the big island. She moved off the island. And then I, I was talking with my dad and my dad. Somehow I ended up in a treatment center in Oahu, Santa Island Treatment Center. And Christmas Eve, my dad bought me a one-way ticket. He did not want me back. You know, so and then Christmas Eve, I was in the treatment center and and you know, I, I called my dad. Earlier, I called my dad that day and I'm like, Dad, I can't stay in this treatment center. And he's all, well, there's, the cops are looking for you and there's some really shady guys over here. I mean, there's guys that wanted to kill me. I mean, I, I owed everybody money and it was just, I, I was painted in a corner and there was no way out. And so I ended up over in the treatment center and, and that Christmas Eve night, I was just in the fetal position on my cot with a, in a room where there was like 30 men. And I just say, God, if you're real, you need to come now because I'm going to come see you. And then instantly this, this peace came over me and I've never felt so clean in my life. It was just, I, it was just an instant washing. And, and then and this voice told me, Aaron, you're going to be okay. And I was just like, okay. You know, and to me, I, I always had a, problem with religion and church people and this you know what i mean i still till today i struggle with it um and those are just old beliefs that i put together growing up that are really you know just it's just a dysfunctional outlook on on that and and i just knew for me i knew it was god it's the only thing that and i that i could explain it and from then on, I've been sober. I've been sober 20, I'll be 24 years sober on Christmas Eve coming up. And, you know, I got sober at the age of 23, which is a young age. And that's very, not very many people get sober at that age. And it's, it's been a trip because it's like, 
when that moment happened, it was like I had my glasses on backwards and I actually put them on right and I could actually see what's happening in the world, you know, what's happening on the island, what's happening on the this 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 destruction that's a lot of people are doing, you know, because nobody nobody really understands it. And they want a lot of people want to do something about it, but it's such a big problem, and it's like it's 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 just a big and and but I could see it clearly, and I knew what I had to do. Like I was given a path, and I knew what I had to do to be able to make a change in the world. And it's been a it's been a long, hard walk. You know, it hasn't been. Peaching, even till today, trying to still do what I do, it's hard. It's it's a really hard thing because there's so many forces out there that do not want what I'm doing to keep going because it's, you know, I change I change lives and it's and it's, I mean, it's beautiful, but there's also the side that, you know, it's, it's just so hard to explain what I, what I, what I see it. And I try to do my best. I'm horrible with words. And, um, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I see my, my community over here just dying. I'm watching this epidemic. I, I would call it a pandemic because it's all over the world, but especially here I'm watching kit. We have the highest rate of suicide on Kauai and in this, in the nation. And, we're in the most beautiful place in the world and it's and I just watch my families and community just being decimated and nothing nobody doing anything about it no there, there's no programs for kids there's no drug rehabs over here there's no there's one but it's the guy's overwhelmed and it's like and our state's doing nothing because no it's they think they are but they're just creating buildings and this and that but there's no people behind it that know what the hell they're doing and it's to me it's sad so and that can overwhelm a person but i just know like for me as one person i can i've done some damage over the past 24 years in creating great things in this community and it's um and it's cool to see you know yeah no exactly and that's that's the thing i've got to speak to people all over the planet, literally. I've got to obviously visit because I'm I'm from England myself. Countries all over the world, and like you said, it's a pandemic, absolutely. And we have got this system, and I, I harp on this all the time. People listening probably get so sick of me talking about it, but the prohibition of drugs, putting illicit drugs into the hands of criminals who can prey on our children and, and destroy our communities, to me, is the underlying reason why we're seeing so much of this these issues. And areas where they've taken that and they've reversed it. They've said, you know what? Addiction isn't a crime anymore. You're going to become a medical patient, not a criminal. And they're filtered through addiction programs. They're filtered through mental health programs. They've shown incredible success. And where, you know, what we see in, in here in the UK and, and many places like that is this prohibition has caused a complete opposite. And we've got gangs of teenagers murdering each other, each other over drug turf. And we've got, you know, men and women and children overdosing on opiates and, you know, like you said, on meth and all these other things that are just destroying human beings. So 
I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I've seen this in so many different places. I've seen it as a career firefighter paramedic in the communities that I served. And the way I think that we have to address this is at the root. Because, no, you don't need more prisons, more police officers, more hospitals. You need to get to the reason why these young men and women are turning to addiction in the first place and address that, the underlying mental yeah. issue. And it's not hard. It's not hard. It's not hard to do that because I do it over here. And it's, it's creating, an, creating an environment that people can come into. And you're not going to fix them all. But... But you create an environment. So I, I also do the recovery side. There's a huge side that I've done. My house has been like a halfway house and for the past 20-something years. And majority of the people that come through my house stay sober because they get, they get a foundation of what it's like to be in a good environment, surrounded by good people, and they get to deal with all their stuff. And it's, um, it's not a hard thing to do. To, to change that, the, the direction of somebody's life um, when it's done properly. And especially with kids too. It's like, I, I really focus on the prevention side and the youth because they're, you can mold them, you know? And, and if you get a kid that's just, a kids just want attention. And if you can get it in a way where you can just grab them and, and educate them. And like, I'll get a kid, bring them to the CrossFit gym. Um, and then we start doing CrossFit and stuff like that. And they start to get addicted to it because you can build them up as you're, you know, you can have a super out of shape fat kid and a super gangly little skinny kid. But these, there's each one has the ability to shine in some area of fitness, whether, whether people think it or not. And when you're over there starting to make, man, that you're strong or you're, 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 agile and fit and you can do you know you can run and this and that you know and you start pouring good energy toward areas in their life where they can shine dude they want more then they get a taste of that man that's what i want i want what my uncle's giving me i want what what and if you guys know in hawaii everybody like every if you're younger everybody's your uncle or your auntie that's how, so that's that's just how it is so if 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 I go over to my house, if I was a young kid going over to my friend's house, their parents are my uncles and aunties. It's just like, this is how it is over here. So when I talk about uncles and aunties, that's what I mean. Um, but yeah, and then you grab them and you carry them and you start to walk with them. And we, I walk with these kids all the way through like their age of, to the age of 18, as far as I can to get them to where they're 18. So that when they, when they, when they get approached by, by the drug culture over here and all that, they're educated and can act, and actually can see what's coming at them. It's not something where like it just kind of happens. And so they're educated and they have a chance to have a running start at life where they can actually become successful. And it works. You know, I've, I've taken kids from homes that the parents are giving them blow and having them sell drugs at the age of 10. And they let, you know, and, these kids are successful now, you know, like I got a text from one of my, the first girl that I, that I offered this program free to, she, um, and she's a successful hairdresser and, and beauty, you know, she's going to school right now. And she was 
destined to do, you know, and to live a life of being a, you know, a crack whore, basically, if bottom line, it would, that, that was her future if, if I didn't step in with the program I have over here. And, and it's um, also like yesterday, too, for example, I had a call. I got a, this other kid I'm working with. He's 12 years old. And he calls me. He's like, hey, uncle, I made seven days sober today. You know, he's excited about being sober because I have other kids that he looks up to that are sober, you know, and are talking about being sober and going to, you know, they're making it exciting to be this person who's not choosing that life. And it's, and now that, that kid's attracted to it, you know, so it's just, that's the, you create that environment, that environment is created. I mean, you change one kid's life, you change generations down the road. I'm one person and I've changed thousands of people's lives. Like, and, and it's, I mean, that's the power that every individual as a human being has, you know, we, you, you, you can individually make a difference. They're just saying four ounces can move a thousand pounds, you know, if it's applied properly and you give it the environment and the structure and it's, it's so easy and it's so beautiful to watch. You know, it doesn't, you don't, you don't have to have a big facility. You don't have to have, I started off with just picking a kid up and pouring that into him, picking a friend up, letting him live at my house, trying to get sober and, you know, giving them a room or, you know, just, it, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle of unselfishness. You know, it takes a lot to like, that's that, I, I would say that's the biggest struggle is you have to lay down your life, you know. To, to help these people because I, I'm, I'm surfing less. I don't go diving as much. I don't, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I put my energy into this and, and, and it's way worth it. It's way more worth it than, than that, you know? Yeah. Well, let, let's expand on that because I've, I've heard so many people say that too, that have been through, you know, just some, uh, uh, a crucible after being in a really, really dark place, many of whom were literally ready to take their own lives. And then when they had that moment, that moment of clarity, that, you know, that um, rehab facility that worked, the 12-step program, whatever it was, one of the huge healing things that also obviously then contributed to society as well was that feeling of giving back, finding that purpose. And, you know, there's so many people I had on the show that are mentors, whether it's Tom Hewitt in South Africa working with street kids and surfing, or Pat Russo in New York City working with uh, kids in boxing and the gift team here in Orlando. And, you know, like you said, each one of those those names I just mentioned are helping so many people. And there's a ripple effect from that. So what was what did you find the effect of when you had that purpose on your own healing as well? Well, the effect. So I just, you know what I mean? I I really got to see people give up their lives to help my life. And to me, it was and I could see clearly that, you know, I was indebted to people taking time out of their life to pour into my life. And I knew that, like, if I had to, it's in the, the service is the number one thing that will keep me from going back out and using drugs again. And I did not want to go back to what it was like. And the thing with that is it, it, being of service, it reminds me 
because because I'll forget, you know, I'll forget and, and start to think like, man, I remember having a beer at the on the wall down here on the beach at sunset. That's kind of nice, you know, just smoking a joint. And I'll start romanticizing these things, and and if I'm not in a place where I'm, I remember what it was like, then I'm I'm fucked. You know, and I've seen it over and over and over. I watched so much people go back out um, because they lose a handle on being. They just they just never really embrace service, and and it's to me it's like it's one one thing that every human being wants is to be of service. You know, it's like but but most of them live selfish lives because it it. It's helping another person takes away from building your life, you know. At least that's what you know the world put in puts in our head. It's like, dude, I got to go out and make money at this, my career, my 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 retirement, my this, my that. You know, it, it drives us into a direction where it's me, 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 me. You know, mine, 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 mine. You know, and um. So going the opposite direction and like, oh, I'm going to pull over and be on the side of the road for 20 minutes and pick up this phone call, maybe an hour to talk to this person because they're having a hard time, you know, and, or I got to go over here tonight. I had a long day at work. I got to go over here tonight and run a meeting. I got to go, you know what I mean? Those are things that, that it goes against in the beginning, it goes against everything but but i've been doing it for so long and it's there's a time that'll come that you'll start to see the the byproducts of your service and once you start to get a taste of it it's everything you've ever wanted in your life you know that's true purpose you know to to watch a kid walk back from the gates of hell to walk and be a part of walking a kid back and and giving them a running start. Watching a friend who, like I have a friend who was dead, clinically dead from an overdose, came back to life, moved, was coming back to Kauai, had nowhere to live. I took him in, you know, and and he was, you know, somebody you wouldn't want in your home, but I took him in, and now he's one of my biggest. helpers you know he's out there just like me changing so many lives and and you know and it's i mean there's no greater feeling to me than that then that that's that's why my life that's every human being's life calling in this world is to, to help other people it's just hard to, to realize it when it's such a selfish world you know no, and I do, and I talk about this a lot. What's crazy, and you know this, I'm sure, is we have an inbuilt mechanism that actually makes it feel good in your own body when you do something good for someone else. And when you're a shitbag yeah. to someone else, you have that inbuilt mechanism that makes you feel like an asshole. You know what I mean? So that's a, that's what's so sad is that if people could feel how good, like selfishly, how good it feels to be good to someone else, to do something that's that's selfless, there's that intrinsic reward system that tells humans, hey, this is the right thing to do versus this is the wrong thing to do. So people are missing out by not being altruistic. So the more we can you know, tell stories like yours and other names that I mentioned, the more people hopefully will realize that, yeah, it might take an extra hour after work. 
but as you said, the 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 ripple effect of that is going to be far greater than whatever you did between nine and five. Yeah. And like, even like with this, the trail run that I put on this kids program that I run over here on Kauai, the Kiala foundation, it's, um, you know, when I started it, I just had a, like, I'll get these little visions. Like I need to do these things. And it's, it usually involves my life savings and everything. I, have, <laughs> I can know? relate. <laughs> so I'm like over here and it's, you know, like I need to, I need to raise money for this program. So what am I going to do? I get my friend, then all of a sudden my friend pops up. Oh, why don't you do a run on our property? I'm, okay. So of course I put together a $60,000 event that, you know, and I'm, the very first run that we did and, and there was nobody signed up two weeks. There's maybe 20 people signed up two weeks out before the event. So I'm over here like, Oh shit, these guys are going to have a really, really good luau. And then, and then all of a sudden, 400 people show up, you know, and I had, you know, Greg Glassman guys helped support it. And I had Progenix and all these other big companies. They all brought these guys over here. And then, and then from there it's grown every year. It's grown and grown and grown. And like, I mean, I, I didn't, if I would have not got into being doing this stuff, I'd have been a millionaire. I could be able to retire and just cruise, but this lifestyle is definitely not making me a millionaire, but it's my ri- my riches are way more golden than than I would I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Just I mean, watching my community and my, the kids that I get to work with and the people I get to meet all over the world who are like minded and out there actually doing doing stuff to like better the community. It's it's that's living, you know. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I I know a lot of really miserable rich people would love my life. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I, I talk about this a lot. You know, you can only drive one car at a time. You can only sleep in one bed at a time. So this obsession that some people have with materialism, you know, it's it's yeah. not making you happy. Whereas when you have men and women that you know that you are part of their life that's making a positive difference, that's more rewarding than anything you can buy in a shop. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I I just I hope somebody listening to this podcast will just be like, man, I gotta I gotta try this out and, and maybe go be of service and try to do something, you know? Because the because the result the 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 payback is where it's at, you know? No, it's it's all, and it's scary. It's because it's 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 just scary to do in the beginning. It's not normal. Well, it's not comfortable either, and that's a big thing. Yeah, not comfortable. A lot. Of, it's not socially accepted too in a lot of places. <laughs> well, you mentioned Greg Glassman, so I know there's a big connection with CrossFit. So, when did you personally find CrossFit, and then lead me into how they became involved with the foundation and the race? Well, it was eight years ago. I so I went to Bali on a surf trip, almost drowned. You know, it was big. I went out, got caught, almost drowned. And I was a little out of shape. I got to the top of the mountain. I was like, God, if I'm either going to become the fat uncle or you're going to help me get in shape. <laughs> and then when I got back to Kauai, I mean, back to Kauai, my buddy called me. He just got sober. And he was on a Oahu. So I went over there to go hang out with him. And 
this beer with him, and he said, let's go check out this gym, and he took me to a CrossFit gym, and I was instantly addicted. It's like, I was like, this is going to get me in shape. I just feel destroyed, you know? Um, and then I crawled home on that flight, got out there, went to the CrossFit gym in Kapala. It was quite CrossFit. And then, with, and then I started bringing my friends that were, and, and that were struggling and they all got, I watched how CrossFit was creating an environment where I could like talk to them. It was, it was creating a, a, a little crack in their armor and I was being able to communicate with them and talk with them on the ride out. And, and, and then, and then within six months, I was already looking at a location to get, get to open a CrossFit gym down in Poipu. I didn't have my certification. I didn't have nothing. I just was doing it because I knew what, what it ha- the effect it has on people. And then, um, I went and took the test. I failed it at level one. And I was just like, screw this CrossFit stuff. I'm just going to open up a gym. But I was already full speed. And then I, and then I then went and took the test. I passed it and then started the gym and started free for kids. And then Greg guys came over or actually his wife, Maggie, she, they were on Kauai for a couple of days. And I didn't even know she was coming to the gym the whole time. And, and, I remember hanging out and I had no idea that that was Greg's wife. And, and and then I was like, man, this baby looks familiar. She had Riley and that was her first baby. And I was like, man, she's like, yeah, he's kind of the famous guy. The dad is in the fitness world. I was like, oh, oh, cool. Right on. And then she's all, yeah, it's Greg Glassman. And I was just like, who's that? Like, I didn't even know Greg Glassman (laughs) She's like, oh yeah, he kind of runs across it, and I was just like, oh, and I was like, wow, that's rad. And then he came over, and that family is always—I mean, beautiful family. I have nothing bad ever to say about that family. They've just been, you know, so generous. And 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 we went and had dinner one night, and I sat with him. I just told him, this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out a way, and he's and I want to do a run. And he, and he was just like, well, why don't you do it? I'm all, I don't know. And he was just like, Dude, just don't be a, don't be a pussy. Just do it, and we'll help you. And I was just like, it was just like that. And then so then I started, and he and he helped me. You know, he, he gave me a check. He's all here. This is our. We're gonna help you get it going. So and he did. And then the next year he came over and during the run and they, and he's. Helped me. He, he helped me open a gym out in Kika. He basically purchased the whole gym for for me out there. I took him out there and showed him the community and the kids and stuff. And and then he just bought the whole gym. And then another out in this other community, Anahola, same thing. Bought the whole gym for the place. And and I mean, he has a real heart for kids and helping people that a lot of people probably overlook. And but it's. It's a very giving person. And none of this would have materialized if it wasn't for what he started, you know, and 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 gave because he gave me motivation and he gave me confidence. And here we are today, you know, we run a massive top-notch kids program and the event's known all over the world. And it's changed so many people's lives. Uh, and uh, it's it's 
uh, yeah, it's it's cool. It is. Well, you, you talked about Greg, and that, that was kind of my observation too. I know the tweet came out. I know there was some you know some events that happened at that moment in time, whether poorly worded. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm totally disconnected from it. But what I did see was this giant mass exodus. And to me, as a layman who's been in CrossFit for 14 years now, um, I was like, well, what about all the good it's done? We're just going to suddenly yes. just burn the fucking place down? So that, that was, you know, what I was kind of disgusted with the whole thing, regardless of what was said and how it was taken, if it was taken the wrong way, whatever, is I've known the CrossFit space as, like you said, being very altruistic, absolutely being instrumental in putting community back into a lot of places. And then even with the race element, I've, I've seen these, these gyms all over the world. So there's, there's huge organic, genuine diversity within the CrossFit space. So I'm so glad that you told that story because that to me is the missing thing, the same as what we're seeing right now. We get that one little sound bite rather than the whole picture. And what I've seen over 14 years is CrossFit as an organization has done so much good honoring fallen veterans and firefighters and police officers and raising money when people need it. And like in your case, helping even set up a foundation. Yep. And I've always been like, when that all came out, you know, because there, there's, you know, the pressure to follow the herd was like, you know, everybody's doing this and that. But I just, you know, I just, I just look at, you know, I was a disgusting person back in the day. And I've done things that are just unforgivable. And I've done a lot, you know what I mean? But the people that matter to me most in my life are the ones that never turned their back on me, you know, and how that was portrayed was just, you know, I, I accept people exactly how they are, where they are and, and who they are. And, and I, I, I let, I was taught that growing up and for me to turn my back on, on, on somebody like that is, is, is just not in my blood. It's not in my DNA to do, do that. I walk toward people who are hurt and I, and I, and I show them love, you know, it's, it's easy to point the fingers and cast down people and judgments and this, but it's like, and if, if everyone truly looks at themselves, they're probably not far from the, from, from the beaten path, you know, it's, they just, it's just not publicly known, you know, Every, everybody's got closets, everybody's got skeletons full in there that, that they're just not, you, you know what I mean? It's a projection. A lot of it's a, a lot of that attack was a projection from what people have in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other element, like you said, is, is we all make mistakes. So exactly. you don't, you don't judge someone on you know, a single event for 20 years of, of work they've done. Anyone, I'm not just talking about him, anyone. Like the, the, yeah. the, the doctrines that we all follow, say, for example, Christianity, is about forgiveness. Yet the moment someone screws up, exactly. we're ready to, you know, to, to burn them up. So, yeah, I burn think... Burn them I, up or lynch them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Always meet, them, but always meet people with unconditional love. You, you have to. If you want to be, if you want to help build the world and make it a better place it's unconditional love you meet it with anger you meet it with all that stuff and it's like it it does no good more harm 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And that's the problem is that for the moment, we seem to be trying to pigeonhole people instead of seeing the commonalities. Oh, yeah. And that's the cancer that we're we're seeing on the television at the moment. I mean, it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the farthest thing from a, from a perfect human being, so. You and me both. <laughs> I'm a lot. There's a lot of things people can point at me and <laughs> say, look at him. It's great. Yeah. But I think anyone that says they didn't is, a, is just a damn liar anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so but it's good to feel, be free from that all that you know and be able to talk about like just being human you know humanizing dysfunction you know we live in a broken world so it is what it is absolutely well you mentioned the kiala foundation so tell everyone listening you know what it is and and the, and the community that you're helping and and where the locations are well the community i'm helping is on the island of Kauai and and the Kiala Foundation is a not 501c3 nonprofit that that basically provides an environment that's totally free for kids. We um, we have these kids. We have we pick them up. Well, before the before the COVID, we were picking them up, training them, feeding them, and then driving them home. And and we will go to their houses. We'll go wherever we need. We, so there's no barrier to entry to get these kids into the program. So we'll go out and get them and find them and pick them up, bring them down to the environment. And we just take them through the program. We're on good, have good mentors, good people, um, just educating these kids and, and building them up to be solid human beings. You know, we'd have kids, we'll have kids that come in that would be sit down and they'd be slunched over and just like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like their posture just shows you what, how, how they are and then by the within a month or two these kids are sitting straight up and they're like you know their body their composure and their confidence is already like and, and it's cool you know and we that's what we do we, we save kids lives and we we i mean i kind of went off track with that but then we yeah, we. But now, now we're doing. We do about sixty kids a day. Back over there, we were doing like five hundred. We had about five hundred kids in the program, and it was pretty nuts. But now with the COVID and all that, we're doing about seventy kids a day. The classes are, which I, I think now it's a little bit better because they're more personal, more intimate with the kids, and you get to really um, instill some good qualities in these kids. And with with. You have you have fifteen kids in a class as opposed to fifty, you know. There's a big difference in, in program effectiveness, you know. A quick question for you, just just sit into jet for a second. I had um like I said, Tom Hewitt who did the the surfing in South Africa, and he used to say, well he told me that uh after after they'd surfed, so they'd go out there, be in nature, they they'd exercise, as you were saying. And then at the end of their surfing session, they would sit down and actually basically do therapy, you know, talk therapy. Um, yeah. And the kids would be so much more open. Have you seen the same kind of thing using CrossFit as the the exercise? Yeah. So I have a – so we do that. And then I, I also do like a Monday night meeting at my house. It's been, I've been doing it for like eight years. I've been doing it forever. And it's it, – we'll get kids. We, we bring them over to the meeting and they hang out. And we, we open it up and it's and it's a tag meeting. So I'll have somebody speak and then they'll tag. And you just go around and everybody will speak for like two or three minutes. But 
but it's a very, very transparent meeting. Like the people I have in there, I mean, you're, you're getting transparent talk and these kids get a chance to hear this and they get a chance to talk. And the longer they come, the more comfortable they feel there. And they, and they talk to, they talk about hard stuff. You know, it's like, like, like some serious hard stuff that would never, you would never know. But th that environment, you know, just building the relationship and building the, the ability to make the kids feel comfortable to be able to talk to you. That's that, that's when the magic happens and, and suffer, you know, doing CrossFit with them and suffering with them. That's, that's such a great tool to create bonding, you know, and, and it works. Like I wouldn't be doing any of this if it didn't work. Well, tell me about some of that, some of the, the success stories that you see in the program. Well, I have, oh man, that's, I can't even like, Billy, I have a kid that's 18 years old that he'd have been dead. He was suicidal. He just, he, I, he's been over here a year and a half. So now he's a year and a half sober. He's um, working. He has great relationship. He's happy. He surfs. He's, you know, he's excited about life. He's not thinking about getting loaded. He doesn't want to drink any more of this. And, he's, and he has, you know, that's one kid. And then I have another, the other kid I was just talking to you about, this 12-year-old. He's, he's seven years old. He's seven days sober. And he's excited about it. I mean, think about that. A 12-year-old. Seven days sober, excited about it. That's just that just shouldn't happen. No, my son's thirteen, so I can completely relate. Yeah, and it's like, but it is. But he's that's where he's at, and and then I have you know I have several girls in college. I have a bunch of guys that are working over here. There's, I mean, it's, I, 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 the one thing I should have been doing is like writing down all the people I work with over the years because I would have, I would just have this huge book of like success stories, you know? And it's, and I'll be, I'll be like in San Francisco and like people I don't even know, like, or just around the world, people will walk up to me and say, Hey, thank you. You helped my friend or thank you this. Or, you know what I mean? They'll come up to me out of the blues. I'm like, Oh, how's this guy? And they're like, keep doing what you're doing. And it's like, it's heavy. I mean, it's success stories is, I mean, you just go to the website, look at the Kiala Foundation and the, you know, it just, it just breathes life, you know, and, and it's cool. It's, it's hard to explain it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have heard so many stories from so many people and, and obviously witnessed some of the more local ones. And that's just it. The power of mentorship, like you said. You know, a single person can can make such a difference in the community. So imagine if everyone, rather than fighting over politics or, you know, whatever the latest buzz topic is, that we actually just chose to walk outside our front door and do something good in the community. I mean, we could really, really change the world. Dude, and, that, and that's where it begins. You get undistracted from all the stuff in the media and the, and the COVID and all that, and, and you focus on – you just it's, it starts by – the moment you set foot out your door or the moment you step out of your bed, who can, whose life can you touch? You know, even if it's by calling somebody 
and letting them know you're having a hard time. You know, you're, you're basically, that's, that's, that's huge, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you're going out and rescuing it. That's like, you're calling somebody like, like I've done it before. I've been suicidal. I tried to commit suicide and all, you know, and I still struggle with depression and all these things. I, 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 I'm, I got, I, I got to maintain, you know, and I, I'll like call people and say, bro, I, I feel really shitty today. You know, I'm having thoughts in my head and, and, you know, for, for the other person on the other end to get that call, it's special for them too, you know, and, and it's, it's cool. I mean, there's so many ways to be helpful, you know, and when you get up and you just start, you know, how, how can I, my, my day starts with how can I help somebody today? Yeah. No, and I think that's that's such a great way because it also fosters gratitude, which is something that's I think missing a yeah. lot too. Yeah, and then you then you start creating all the stuff that's gonna give you feelings. You know, you're creating new actions that and every action there's a reaction and and then you're gonna start to get the the kickbacks from your actions you're doing. And it may not be right away, but down the road you're you start to feel a little lighter in your step. You start to feel good. You know, you start to see things that are, you know, good that happen around you. No, absolutely. Now, you mentioned the the run. So, I think the first time I heard of the foundation was Matt Chan, who's become a good friend now. But um, he, I know, ran um, several yeah. years, I believe. And then Ron Ortiz, I think, has been part of the medical team, if I, my memory serves me right. David Gord's yeah. been out there with you guys. Um, yeah, so yeah, Fra- Frazier, Dan Bay, all those guys, they all come out every year. Beautiful. Cool. So tell me what, what it looks like pre-COVID and then tell me about how people can register for this year's virtual event. Pre-COVID, would, I would definitely definitely not be on a podcast right now because I would be in the mountain. Like We're like a couple of weeks, I'd be out in the mountain cutting trails and just like, dude, going a thousand miles an hour. Just like... <laughs> creating a hell for everybody, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And, and then now, now it's basically, it's been a COVID has been, it's been a blessing. I mean, it could have gone either way. I could have, it could have just been all negative and now we're shutting down and screw it, you know, but it's really pushed me into a corner to be able to create something because I, I don't want to not have this free program available for kids. And this time has been just doing this virtual run. Um, I have a great team of people who know what they're doing. So I definitely step out of the way and, you know, great partners like assault bike, assault fitness, and then RX smart gear, Jason Kalipa and a whole bunch of other companies are helping us promote it and, we're just establishing a new way to to raise money, you know. So now when next year comes, this model will be in place where it won't just be the people coming here to do the run. We'll have a new program that's available for everybody all over the world to partake in this, you know. So it's actually – it's just better, you know. It's um, – it's it's better 
there's a lot of good that's coming from this. And I think, I think it's the frame of mind that you go into things in life. You know, you're either going to let it beat you down or you're going to find a way, you know, be resilient and, 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 and not negative, you know, just, there's always a solution. I mean, there's always a solution to creating greatness <laughs> in, in hard times. And I think that's, that's, that's what it is now where we're at with the COVID going on. Yeah. So what did the actual rates look like physically in Hawaii? So from, you know, last year and, and before. So what, what are the athletes going through? Well, they would come over and we'd have a, uh, a workout set up for the kids. So the athletes would come over, we'd pair them up with kids, and then they'd go through like a CrossFit game style workout the day before the run. And the whole time they're, they're with the kids and they're working with the kids and it's, they're doing, so these kids are just getting like the best in the world, you know? And then the day of the run we'll go up and well, a couple of days before that I'll bring the athletes in the mountain and we'll tie ropes and all this stuff like that to help the last little setup before the run. And then we'll go the day of the run. It's always, it's a five or 10 K ish run. I never get it right in a year. It's always longer. And, and people start showing up at the day of the run and there's like thousands of people that show up to, to do this event. And, and it's nuts, man. When I, when I, when I, when we hit, say go, I mean, we're sending people off into the gnarliest terrain. Like, I mean, this, this is like, I mean, there's a fun run, which you can do and walk and stuff. And the 5k is a little kick higher, but the 10k, man, you are going into the mountains. And if somebody gets hurt up there to extract them out of the mountain is it would be helicopters and all the stuff that you wouldn't want to want. And, and we've never, fortunately we've made it through seven years of runs without any major injuries, just little bruises and scratches. And, and I'm surprised because there's been years where it's, torrential raining and every single hill is a mudslide that people are flying down full speed and just take it. The, the carnage is like I mean there's a, I just I go, oh my gosh and I can't even like I would go to the porta potty close the door and just pray and it's like please God please please don't let anybody get hurt and then, and then the end of the run this mud thing that I create is this hell. So after you complete hell, the five or 10 K you come to the end, you grab a sandbag that you got to walk through this course, which is hell. And then you go, come into the very end part of it, where there's an obstacle course that I make. It's like a mud pit and all this. And people just hit that and they're just crawling through. There's no running through that part of it. When you, when you hit the sandbag, it's like you instantly become this turtle and you're just like, but, but it's cool at that, at that moment, people are just like, just helping each other along, you know, the whole way, the whole way through everybody's helping each other at the end, man, it's like people are carrying people just to get, make it to the end. And, and it, it's just brutal. When that last, when that last person comes in, I'm so happy and, you come out of the pool party. <laughs> oh yeah, I come out and I can just rest and just think, thank God. 
then we have then we have a big luau, a big festival, and and then everybody goes on their way. Everybody goes home. Beautiful. Well, Matt talked about it, and I, I would love to to make it over there. I'm actually finally in a position now where I can travel a lot more. Obviously, this year. Yeah, you should come over. Yeah, Dude, no. Anytime. I, I got I got all the hookups over here. Beautiful. So that yeah. that's next year. Now this year you have a virtual event. So tell me about that, and then where people can can register. <clears throat> so yeah, you can go to if you go to the Ultimate Hawaiian Trail Run web, Trail Run website, and or the Kiala Foundation, you can go and. Um, sign up for a run and and it's cool because that you're basically supporting a, when you join the event you're supporting a, a program that goes to the kids over here i mean it's it's you're breathing life into this island that's just being decimated by the by the covid there's the tourist industry is gone there's no tourist here and it's just all the programs from the government that, and the schooling and all, all that stuff is falling apart. So there's pretty much no programs that are going to be available for these kids. Um, but we will. We're going to be here. We're, we're, we're sticking around. And, and when people join, they, they, they keep it going. You know, it's, um, I mean, there's three different levels that you can sign up. And we're giving away. Like the other day we did a raffle. If you sign up now. We, you get you're a part of a raffle where we gave away an assault bike the other day. We got some more assault bikes. We got a bunch of other gifts that we're going to be raffling off. So when you sign up, your bib number is your raffle number, and so the earlier you sign up, the chances of getting some really cool gifts are are very high. You know, so yeah. At the end of the day, just just helping the big biggest part is helping the kids, helping us keep keep these kids the doors open for these kids over here yeah well we talked about the opportunity to make a difference this is a great time for people to start i mean that to oh, you yeah. figure out what your own journey is then go on the um kiala foundation website or the um ultimate hawaiian trail one website and, and just make a donation just start with that yeah and then you can find a f area over there sign up do a 5k over there or somewhere just find some terrain and do it and and then eventually when you come over to hawaii or to Kauai, you can come see what we do over here and I, and you won't be disappointed because it's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, the, the, the kids truly are getting a gift in the community by everybody stepping up and, and keeping this going and donating. Well, I can't wait to, to visit and obviously we'll do a, do another interview face to face when I do come over and I say when, cause we'll make that happen. Um, just to kind of circle around again to, you know the crisis and what's going on we did a workout a few weeks ago um brayden which was yeah you know to honor your nephew so i just wanted to kind of tell tell his story and put it out there too yeah he was he struggled with drugs and alcohol over here he got the same environment got a hold of him and he like about two months ago a little less he flipped his truck and came was left a party late at night didn't make the corner flip this truck and he passed away. Um, and we did a big workout for him, you know, and it was cool because CrossFit and everybody, the whole community just put it out there and did it. And which was really cool. I mean, there's people from all over the world who did this workout and it was real special because it was, you know, that it, it ain't home. 
it, you know, I, I, I deal with so many families losing their kids to drug addiction and suicide. And, and when it was my nephew, you know, it was really close to home. And just to understand the pain that a family goes through when they lose, lose a family member or especially a young kid, it's, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. You know, it's, it's, it's so tragic. And, and, and then I go, then again, this, that whole incident just flames the fire in my life to keep doing what we're doing over here because um, we can prevent that. We are preventing that from happening in kids' lives and, and from families having to lose loved ones because like the kid Jesse that I just talked about, that's came over here suicidal and now he's loving life and the 12 year old kid I'm working with and the other girl, Helani that's off in Las Vegas and, and Billy and all these, you know what I mean? We're, they're, they're, they're not statistics anymore. They're the, the they're the new statistics. They're, they're what will have happens to kids when they come into our environment over here. They it's success, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you said about preventable, and I think that's something that I've had the chance to see doing the profession that I've done for the last you know, 14 years. And I even actually just finished writing a book, and I talk about this. Like You have the meteor hitting the earth, the earthquake, all these natural disasters that we can't prevent. And if people die, it's terrible, but that was a force of nature. But the other 99% of deaths that we see in the world, premature deaths, that is, are preventable, whether it's obesity, whether it's overdose, whether it's suicide, you know, so many of these areas we can truly affect. And what you're doing is identifying that and working on that. So I couldn't agree more. Foundations like yours and all the other ones that I've I've had the honor of, of learning about and meeting are part of the solution. And the more we pour our money into the prevention, the more lives we're going to save. And then that's a ripple effect because then their kids aren't going to have an alcoholic mother or yep. father that's going to pass on that that um, you know environment. Yep. It's so rad. It's totally preventable. Right. Well, I want to transition to some closing questions, Aaron, so I can let you get going. But there's a few questions I love to ask every single guest. Um, the first one is, is there a book that you've read that you love to tell people about? It can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different. Well, I, one of the greatest books I've ever read is the big, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And especially for like addiction and, and the 12 steps and what I've been talking about, that basically shed, sheds light on all that we're doing, you know? really gives insight to the drug drug addiction problem and and that, that's that's what that's my favorite that, that book saved my life told that book told me the truth and then yeah that's that, that would be the book i would recommend beautiful yeah actually i don't know if you're able to read it if you're not in the program but i mean i've had so many friends talk about that i feel like i need to read it myself oh yeah it's mind-blowing I think the lar- the lar- that, that explains the largest unspoken of pandemic to the T. It'll give you an outlook to this like, oh, this is how you deal with it. Yeah. Well, especially if you, if you factor in alcoholism. And that's, that's the sad thing. When we talk about addiction, people think about illicit drugs. 
and they forget that the legal one and I don't think it should be illegal I think it's just another coping mechanism but yeah that, that if you if you factor that in especially in our professions that's the elephant in the room alcohol is the worst one it's because you can function on it most people come in from alcoholism when they're over 40 50 years old so half their life's gone because you can function on it and it's socially acceptable and it's like even like weed too weed you can function on it so the, the bottom doesn't come too quick as opposed to the hard stuff you know so half your half your life is gone Absolutely. And then we, the, most of the things that we see when it comes to violent death is involved with alcohol usually as well, whether it's road traffic accidents, whether it's assaults and murders. It's not usually ecstasy that's behind it, for example. Yeah. All right. Well, then what about a movie? Any movies you love? Yeah, the last one I watched was Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty nuts. I, yeah. Narcos was pretty nuts. That was a good good documentary, seeing those guys. It's crazy. Brilliant. All right, well, the next question. Is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Oh, who would be a good speaker? I mean, I got some unreal lifeguard people over here that are well-respected Hawaiians. That'd be awesome. Actually, one of my friends, Eric Goodman, who just moved to Oahu, he was saying the exact same thing. He's like, you know, I need to hook you up with some lifeguards. And I was a lifeguard myself for years before I became a fireman. Yeah, we got Kalani Vieira. I, yeah, he'd be a good one. He's got a great story. He, yeah. He, he's, yeah. I actually did a podcast. I have a podcast. It's called Coconut Wireless. And I had him, the mayor... Um, Titus Kinimaka, real well-respected, world-renowned surfer, and and a couple other guys on there, good friends. Um, but yeah, he, Kalani would be really good. I could give you his number. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I haven't had a lifeguard yet, which is crazy because I was one. So. And he, he's the he's the he, he's the head of the lifeguard on Kauai. He runs the whole thing. Beautiful. And when I say I was a guard, I've never ocean. I was lake and still water. But yeah, but yeah, oh, they got yeah, they they got awesome stuff. And, and he's he's a recovered drug addict too. Beautiful. Yeah, that that would be incredible if you were able to. Thank you so much. Yeah, totally. All right, then the last question before we make sure where everyone can find all the websites and find you online. What do you do to decompress these days? That's a great question. Like I, I go foil surfing. I go diving. I I. I do a lot of big wave surfing. I, you know, and just stuff like that, get into nature, do the stuff that I loved when I was a kid growing up. Just kind of stick back to the basics, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how many people, nature is, is one of the most healing things when it, when it comes to, to resetting. But it's, it's hard over here, not um, because it's a small island. So wherever I go, you know, I mean, it's one road. It's just like I just see this thing ravaging our island everywhere every day so it's it's a little hard to decompress yeah yeah i can relate absolutely well hopefully you're you know, like i said you're part of the change that's going to reverse it you know and then in, in 10 years from now it'll look completely different yeah it are it already has you know there's there's hope yeah absolutely and i'm hoping that you said about good things coming out of covid i i i like you found 
opportunities during this to just put more information out there and maybe plant some seeds in people's minds. But this this should be the time for people to reflect on their own physical health and their own mental health. And I've, I talked about this with a guest the other day, this, this term new normal that seems to trigger people. There should be a new normal. And that new normal shouldn't involve hand sanitizers and masks. It should involve better physical health, better mental health, treating the environment better. All these lessons that Mother Nature has just rammed down our throat. If we allow ourselves to be distracted by all this kind of triggering conversations, we're going to miss the giant lesson, which is this is a mirror being held up to us. And we can really learn from these and make make our nation healthier. Yeah, definitely. Always a solution. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, just before I let you go, um, where can people find the Trail Run website and the uh, Kiala website? Um, just go to Kiala Foundation, K-E-A-L-A Foundation.com or the Ultimate Hawaiian Trail Run. And it'll, it's a beautiful website. And it's pretty simple to navigate. And all of our histories on there, and uh, give you all the info. And we're, thank- we're thankful for anybody who who um, partakes in it, and grateful for it, for that. And we we spend every dollar very wisely. You know, we're because it, it to me it's a it's a massive responsibility. When people donate to, to me, it's it's you know it's it's very personal me what this program does and I, and I make sure that every every bit is we squeeze everything out of every dollar to make good happen in the community and make it consistently happen yeah well and like I said I've had so many people endorse it as well you know people that are, are trusted whether it's in the CrossFit community or outside of that but yeah the, they wouldn't swear by it and keep coming back year after year if they didn't see that you were doing amazing things out there yeah I'm pretty pretty thankful and then what about people. I'm sorry. And what about online? How can people find you on social media? On uh, me, I my it's just the Kiala Foundation or Ultimate Hawaiian Trail Run and then I have I have my personal one it's at uncle it's uncle Hoff, un, uncle underscore Hoffy. And we've been putting out some crazy video vlogs of kind of day-to-day stuff over here so it's been I just started it up so it's been pretty fun. Just putting on some fun, some fun videos, you know, of day day in the life stuff. I see one up the other day with foil foil surfing. That was pretty cool. Beautiful, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been following you guys for a while now, and and um, in the foundation, and I will put the links to both of those on the webpage for this episode, jamesgearing.com as well. But Aaron, I just want to say thank you. I mean not only for what you're actually physically doing with the foundation, but also telling your story. I mean, there's so much power in people. Um, having the courage and transparency to say, this is where I was. These are the mistakes I made. This is how I got through. And this is what I'm doing with it today. And, and I think the more men and women that, like you that we have in the world, the more it's going to reprogram, as you were saying, the judgmental kind of prejudice that has been allowed to permeate our culture. Yeah, exactly. My wife just came in with a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to let you go anyway. So just thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing. Okay, cool. Right on. We'll touch base later and get your butt over here.